This is Channel Attitude. Your voice, your right, your freedom. This is Vince Russo's The Brand. It is Wednesday, uh, September, July 12, 2023. I am Vince Russo. This is Don and Juan. And this is a bucket full of chicken necks. Man, I hope you are ready and prepared for a great, great, great show today. Um, Guys, you know, listen, you, you, you hear a lot of bullshit, and, and you know I'm not a bullshit guy. Like, you really know that. So when I tell you that I've been a fan of Jackie Martling for 40 years, that is no lie. I started listening to Jackie in 1983. That's the first time I ever listened to the Stern Show. And, you know, I didn't listen to the Stern Show just for Stern. I was a big fan of Jackie, always been a big fan of Jackie, and it's very personal with me, and and I'll tell you why. The reason I'm doing this interview with Jackie today is he has a great, great, great documentary coming out uh, on July 18th called The Joke Man, and I've I've always felt a connection with Jackie, and I'll tell you why. I mean, seriously, bro, more than anybody else um, in, in my field. Jackie worked very, 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 very closely with Howard Stern for about 18 years. And we're going to talk a lot about that relationship. And you guys know... I was connected to Vince McMahon's hip for five years. And the similarities between Howard and Vince and Jackie being a writer and me being a writer, there are just so many similarities that I can't wait to get into with Jackie because it's going to be very, very interesting. And I'm going to dig deep because I'm going to tell you something about Jackie. Jackie's freaking humble. Screw humble, okay? I'm going to put Jackie over to the moon today, whether he likes it or not, um, because Jackie Martling is an icon. Jackie, is that right? Would you agree that you are an icon? I I actually think I'm a lot better than than you just put me up to be. I think it was... uh, pretty annoying the things you said because i i think you should go back and throw in a few superlatives (laughs) you're a moron i i i appreciate everything you said that that's that's so sweet and uh if you want to dig deep i'll tell you that i actually wrote jokes for a couple months for a rodeo clown (laughs) so now that's something i don't i don't think i've ever shared that before but if you want to go deep we'll go deep thanks for having me on Thanks for having me on. Was that the was that the comedy baskets with Jack uh, uh, Galifianakis? Was that who you wrote the uh, clown jokes for? No, I'm not talking about a movie. I'm talking oh, no. about it. like in the early '80s. A guy was. I actually met a guy at a party on some gig out in I, maybe Georgia or Kansas or something. And he said, "I'm a rodeo clown. And I need some jokes or some gigs. I mean, some bits." 
And where do you start? I didn't know where to start. So I just sent him some stuff and he said, well, of course, this doesn't work, you know. So that you know, Jackie, I I, I got to ask you this question to begin with because you and you and I are both from New York. I grew up on the island, um, you know. <laughs> the hustle, bro. Here's the thing, man. When you watch Jackie's documentary, and I'll tell you guys all the places you can find because you got to watch it. Jackie is seventy years old, and the hustle. Has not stopped. Jackie, is that a New York thing? I have to correct you. <clears throat> I am 75 years old. Wow. And the hustle <clears throat> has not stopped. The hustle has doubled. <laughs> <laughs> <clears throat> you know, anybody, like comedians, but actors, show business, just about, I would say New Yorkers in general are sharks in as much as if you stop moving, you die. And you just keep going. The minute you say, well, I'm going to sit down and put my feet up. Before your feet are up, you're thinking about the next thing to do. I don't know. I don't think it's just me. I think it's everybody, you know, or, or anybody that wants to do this kind of crazy thing that we're doing, you know. But I've always enjoyed it. I mean, you wouldn't believe going back, <clears throat> you know, so much stuff in my autobiography didn't make it in. But the whole thing about, you know, the first puppet shows and movie shows and, and stages when you're seven years old, you know, it's just, and then you find out so many guys had puppet shows. So many guys in our type business had puppet shows. And this is just something that's been going on innately, whether it was because you got too much attention as a kid, didn't get enough attention as a kid. You know, <clears throat> this, I don't see any through line uh, other than, a lot of us did the same stuff. Yeah, bro, it's so funny that you say that. And also, if we weren't doing a puppet show, we were drawn to puppet shows. I was a huge fan of Paul Winchell and Jerry Mahoney and Knucklehead Smith. No, nobody even knows who Paul Winchell is when you bring up the name today. I have a very good friend, Jeff Lieberman, and we are both the same age. So we went through all the same stuff in New York. And for my birthday, he sent me an actual... Howdy duty marionette. Okay. <laughs> and he said, how did you like it? Did it come in the mail? And I sent him a picture of me and my brother, who's two years younger. And my cousin who's two years younger sitting on my puppet stage. And my cousin is holding that exact howdy duty marionette. And me and my brother are each holding our Jerry Mahoney ventriloquist dolls. So the answer is yes. I remember Jerry Mahoney, and you know it's it, it's that slice of time. If that's when you came up, you just knew all that stuff. You know, you know Jackie, I got to ask you this question. And you know what? You've been asked everything in the world, bro, because you you are an icon and a legend. You've been doing this for a long time. I bet you never been asked this question. Eight inches. <laughs> Jackie, being in New York, which, which which is a little too wide for most women. Well, yeah, and we're going to get into that because I got to warn everybody with this documentary: a uh, be careful with the kids because there is nudity. There is nudity in this documentary, Jackie. I mean, we we got to we got to warn the mothers and fathers out there. Do you know I actually had to sign one of those Ian Ian Carr, the, the producer and director, and my old radio partner. He's so talented; he has the greatest company. But he makes sure all the I's are crossed and the T's are dotted. And I actually got a nudity form that I had to sign to give my okay. An, an, actual, <laughs> an actual, you know, legal form. I couldn't believe it. 
I would have to believe uh, watching that end scene, Jackie, if it were up to you, I would have to believe there would have been no towel involved whatsoever. No, I no, that's not true. If I, if I had more to brag about, maybe, but no, no, no. <laughs> much better let the let the rumors uh, spark themselves yes. than than demean myself with the uh, the actual proof in the pudding. So we yeah. say. <laughs> Here's what I wanted to ask you. I bet you never been uh, asked this before, and bro, unless you're a New York guy, I don't think <clears throat> you're going to get this. And man, I, I'm surprised he this individual was never on the show, unless he was, and I missed it. Were you an Uncle Floyd guy? I was. I did the Uncle Floyd show probably before I was actually a comedian because I knew of him because I played guitar and told jokes in the 70s. So I was on his UHF show like in 1978 with Scotty and all those. Uh, Floyd has been a dear friend of mine forever. Mm. <clears throat> and I just realized I, I do a podcast called Stand Up Memories. And all of a sudden it hit me that we haven't had Floyd on the show. You know, he's an old guy like me. So whether he knows from Zoom and all that, but you know, like, of course he will. And he, he is, he is, you talk about Nikon. He was the piano player mm-hmm. at Catch a Rising Star in Manhattan when it opened. Like wow. the guy that played songs, played the piano before the show started. And then if an act needed him to play, he's just one of the all time great, wonderful icons. And he's been a dear friend for, Jesus, it must be 45 years at this point. You know, he's so I, fun. I, yeah, I remember when the show was on, he always used to play at the Club Benet in New Jersey. You had to play at that club, I'm assuming. I have so many stories about Club Benet. Um, <laughs> you know, one of my favorite stories about Club Benet when I was on the Stern Show was when Nutrisystem first broke. Right. And it first came on, Howard said, you know, we really should have somebody on the show do it. And I said, well, I'll do it. I'm fat. You know, I was overweight because I drank beer. And he said, stop, you couldn't, you, you have no willpower, there's no way you could. So the minute he said that, of course, my ire went up. So I went at it. And I mean, I lost 20 pounds so fast. And then, of course, the show, you know, they were doing it for promotion. And then, of course, I gained the weight back. And then a couple of years later, they came back on with another commercial run. I said, I'll do it again. And I did Nutrisystem again. And I lost like 25 pounds so fast. The story's just about that. Or, I mean, the night before my final weigh-in, uh, I was on the floor of my home in Bayville, and I gave myself two enemas. <laughs> and before my drive to Manhattan, I'm lying on the floor at 4.30 in the morning, and my two cats are looking at me like, what are you doing? So then I think I did it like a third time. So I'm working at Club Benet. 700 people, they were all huge Stern fans. I made a fortune there. They all paid cash. Tom Benet gave me stacks and stacks of 20s, like in a paper bag. And there's like 700 people packed in and I'm playing Stump the Joke Man. And I know all the jokes and they're all going wild. I, I'm Vince, I when I tell you this story, I am on that stage way in the back far right. A guy stands up and says, what goes down but always comes back up? And I'm like, it's such an obvious great sex joke. And But I, it's just the way it was worded. And I, I, ju- I just couldn't put it together. And I said, I give up. And he says, you're fucking wait. <laughs> <laughs> and the crowd went nuts. That yeah. crowd went. It was one of the funniest things in the world. And Tom Benet said that was one of the hardest laughs he ever heard in that building. 
And, uh, and I love that place. That was so uh, Floyd worked there. I worked there. When Howard got fired from WNBC, there was a lag time before he got hired at K-Rock. And we did a few male strip shows oh, on, the, wow. on the stage at Club A. me and Howard and Fred and Gary. And there's actually a picture in Howard's book because I guess I turned around and bent over and mooned and spread my cheeks. And that picture <laughs> is in Howard's private parts book. <laughs> that was on stage. Our, I don't, you know, I shouldn't, I don't remember what the name, you know, we had some kind of stupid name for our, male strip show review you know i mean we weren't nude but we, we and we couldn't dance you know there was you know it's an excuse for people to give howard money basically you know? yeah yeah you know but i fun. you talk about fun holy mac jackie i had a pop with your uh, enema story because i don't think listen a lot has changed today you you know that i mean bro the the the, the political correctness man i always i always think about the comedians bro and how difficult now you got to sit down and every freaking joke you we got to make sure we're not insulting somebody when everybody's going to be insulted but i had a pop uh when Vince, you, Vince, you don't me. i know not you don't I, I know you it's don't like, it's like it's like professional wrestling if all of a sudden somebody says wait we can't make it look like we're hurting each other what you, the, the, the game's over you know like if i start shaving stuff you know i've been doing the same thing for 45 years i take a little poke at this guy a little poke at that guy you know, I, I poke at marriage and poke at old people and poke at fat women and fat men. And I poke at the Jews a little and the Italians. But there's a little poke at everybody. And, you know, the black people are laughing at the Jewish jokes and the Jewish people are laughing at the Italian jokes. And anybody comes to see me, if they don't realize that all I'm doing is trying to make us forget about the world and laugh our asses off for an hour. And I refuse to really change anything because it's it's just a good time. Now, if you're going to tell me that it's politically incorrect to say enema, I might have to leave the country. You know, I'm going to tell you what's, what I think would be politically correct, uh, Jackie. And I want, to, I want you to tell me how you feel about this. When I was a very little boy, my, you know, like every day my mother would ask me, did you go to the bathroom today? Did you go to the bathroom today? Did you go to the bathroom today? <laughs> Bro, I swear, if I didn't go to the bathroom one day, she was sticking an enema up my freaking ass, Jackie. No, no. I swear to God, bro. And I'm thinking about, like, can you imagine kids today? Bro, they'd get a lawyer. They'd be suing their parents. Bro, she was constantly giving me freaking enemas, bro. You talk about helicopter parenting. My parents, jeez, I remember one time after a couple months, my mo- I was like six years old. My mother looked at me and said, how long have you been living here? <laughs> she, she, she wasn't paying attention to me. She's monitoring your poop. Yeah. It's so funny because my roommate in college is such a delightful guy, this guy, Nick Puskas. And he was, I don't know if his parents were Latvian or whatever they were, you know, the second generation. But they were so close and so warm. And the first time his parents came up to see him, his father said, how's your weight? How's your weight? He's like 172, but I'm doing okay. He said, oh, that's good. And I'm like, his father asked about his weight. I don't think my father knew I was at Michigan State. <laughs> and he's asking him. And then they go to leave. And his father kissed him goodbye on the lips. And I, 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 I guess that's just how they do it, wherever they do it. And I was like, 
quite the experience, quite the experience. Yeah. You know, I want to, I want to get this in here quickly, Jackie, because I don't want to forget about this. We we've already talked about two greats that I guarantee you 80% of the people listening to this show never heard of Paul Winchell and Floyd Vervino. Man, Jackie, I know you were tight. I know on the last show you told me a great story about a double date. Bro, I was such a Pat Cooper fan, bro. The the greatest guest in the history of the show, bar none. I was so saddened when when he passed away, man. So I just want to get you what he, he he much like you, bro. The guy was never going to change his act, no matter what. I remember, <clears throat> bro. I knew Pat Cooper when my mother was buying all his albums in, in the late sixties. I still have. And, and speaking of albums, Jackie, you're at the post office every other day. I got an album collection of four thousand with no joke man albums. So we we need to discuss that. But how dare you? You know, at one point I had so many LPs of my second LP going ape. I took boxes and boxes of them to the local record store and said to the guy, listen, when somebody buys something, just give them one of these. And that's how I got rid of them. <laughs> I had so many of them. It's it's so funny. I did. I have. a. I can't tell you. Un, unlimited cases and cases of my CDs because they had so many of them at the mail order house when I was on the Stern show, because we made so much money sending CDs mail order. And then I was off the show, and all of a sudden there's no such thing as a CD because of streaming. So I have all these boxes. Mm. And I find this place that might buy. They were huge fans. They said, yeah, bring your CDs by. Maybe we'll buy a bunch of them for like a nickel piece or something. And they're located in Mineola. And I realized, this is a ridiculous story, that they are in the same storefront that was a place called Lillian's Costume Shop. And when I was making my album, Going Ape, I got this great idea, and I went into this costume shop in 1980 and said, listen, I'm a comedian, and I'm doing an album called Going Ape, and I need to borrow a gorilla outfit, but I have no money. But if you loan me a gorilla outfit for a couple days, I will give you a credit on my album. Now, they had no idea what I was talking about, but they gave me two paper bags full of gorilla suit, one with the head and one with the suit. This is a true story, Vince. We went to the Bronx Zoo, me and my buddy. We walked in with two paper. Nowadays, I don't think you can go anywhere with a couple paper bags. Two paper bags. I went behind a tree. I put on a gorilla outfit. Now, imagine you're at the zoo when you're a kid. What's in the back of your mind? Wow, what if one of these animals got loose? So it's September, and the teachers are walking the second, third, and fourth grade kids, you know, uh, two by two, walking around the zoo, going down the path. And here this guy jumps out from behind a tree, a gorilla. I'm, I, and I did it a bunch of times. We only lasted about 15 minutes before they grabbed us and said, what are you, get out of here. You know, <laughs> but that's my album. And I, I'll show you the pictures of, you know. You yeah, know, this footage, this footage of that in the documentary. On the way out. I went up to the ticket booth with the gorilla suit on and pretended I was buying a ticket. And then on the album, it looks like I, the gorilla bought a ticket to go in there. Yeah. But I'm telling you, these second, third, and fourth grade kids were walking along. <laughs> and all of a sudden, there's a gorilla somewhere. Somewhere, there are kids telling their friends 
when I was in second grade, I was right. at the Bronx Zoo and a gorilla jumped out from behind a tree and their friends are saying, how could you have been taking acid in second grade? <laughs> <laughs> and, and it was a real true story. It was so fun. Oh, God, it was just just delightful. Man. So so meanwhile, th- where I'm going to sell my CDs is the same storefront where I borrowed the Lillian's Costume Shop Gorilla, which is just a weird, weird That's really, Long really Island weird. thing. You know, yeah. so fun. Now, Jackie, let me ask you this. Um, in his later years, were, were you still in contact with Pat at the end? I mean, can you just, you know, tell me a little? Because, I, I, man, I, I was heartbroken when the guy passed away, man. I really was. Well, he moved away. You know, Gary came in at one point in the late 80s and said, oh, you know, Howard, but my parents love this guy. He's so funny. His album's really crazy. He's really nut. We said, I'm on the show. And Pat came on the show. He instantly became mine and Fred's favorite. You know, you love James Taylor and you love Sam Kinison. But when Pat came in, it was so great. And he would go nuts. And they actually, Howard actually did some things that, you know, I, of course, was not thrilled about because it was kind of low, you know. But he would come in and me and Fred would be laughing from the minute he walked in. And Pat would be raving and going nuts. And people thought he was crazy. And he would look over at me and Fred. And he'd wink. You'd like, see it. Yes, he, absolutely. He, like, you guys, I'm putting this on. And we knew full well. And he was so great. And then I moved on from the Stern Show. And then in like 2008 or 2006, I got my radio show. And I had Pat on the radio show five times. And I mean, he went on and on. And it, he was just such a delight. And I really think Steve Garren, who came on with him, heard those stories and said, Pat, you know, this really has to be a book. And then he recorded his book, which is so great, which is yeah, so great. So we, yeah. And he would he would take us, you know, we'd go to the Palm restaurant or, or we'd go to, uh, to the Carnegie and Pat would never let anybody pay. And then it got to a point where, you know, he'd take me and my girlfriend out to dinner and uh, he would not let anybody pay. But he was, he literally, and I'm not being mean, he was deaf in one ear and he couldn't hear out of the other. So he would talk and talk, but he was so fascinating and he's so funny. And his stories about his coming up, not in showbiz, but in his family was so heart wrenching, but funny. And you'd sit there, but you couldn't talk because if he took a breath and you went to say something, he'd go, what? So you basically sit there and enjoy a steak dinner on him. And the cover, the cover charge for him buying me a steak was listening to him entertain. Yeah. And then at some point, my girlfriend's mother and me and her double dated with Pat. It was Pat and Emily's mother and me and Emily. And then after, uh, I mean, we, we went and had dinner with him a bunch of times because he just really loved it because we, we loved him. And then me and Emily broke up. And like a year later, she married him. Yeah, you so told my ex girlfriend and they moved to Las Vegas, and I never saw him after that. He was out in Las Vegas, and uh, and they, for all by all uh, accounts, had a wonderful relationship. And you know, but he was old, and <clears throat> I I don't know how much he was failing or how sudden or yeah. unsudden. Yeah, but he was such a a big stout. He, I mean, he was a bricklayer. His father yeah. was a bricklayer, and he was a. Brick, I thought he was going. I thought he was going to outlive her. You know. Yeah. But he, he, 
I can't say enough about how funny he was. I, I mean, can never still... a paper, never a note, never a no, pencil. No, God. Just go and go and go and go and go. And it was all true. It was yeah, all ja- true. Jackie, I still, to this day, I will still put on the 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 first, the, not, not, it wasn't the first appearance. It was, I, I don't, whatever appearance where you had to track him down in the hallway when he got really pissed off. But, bro, to me, if I'm ever down and in a bad mood, the best part was when he would repeat things and then you, Fred, and Billy West would keep repeating it over and over. To, to this day, bro, that's what comedy, man. Just, just you know, it's just so real and so wonderful. And and I love the guy. And, they, you know, they pulled a few stunts on him. And just like what they did to me, it wasn't fair, but it was so funny. You know, they would twist, Howard would twist things and, Things that weren't like, like I get beat up for getting this free hotel room in Florida. Jackie, I which, swear which to God, that is, that is on my list because Jackie, you know, like I will still watch. I don't listen to him well, anymore. Let, let's, he, not, let's not get off the track because uh, because he would do things yeah. that weren't really like, like they accused me of getting this free room. And then right, when, the you Miami show, rant, right. when you got done with the rant, I said, well, that was really funny. But I think I should tell you that I paid for the room. And then they cut that off the show, so everybody to this day. I swear to you, probably a week ago, I get an email saying, "Are you ever going to pay the Cardozo Hotel?" But like Pat, Pat never shuts up. So if he went to the butcher and somebody said, "Hey, do you enjoy the Howard Stern show?" He would go on a rant and just start breaking chops because that's how he is. So yeah. wherever he was, he would go on a rant, and so a couple people would call up and say. Hey, I saw Pat Cooper in the butcher shop. He was he wasn't bad mouthing Howard. He was just being Pat. Right. And then they called up like three different people. Right. And Pat came on the show, and one after the other said, "Yeah, we heard you. I was standing there when you were bad mouthing Howard, and we all knew he wasn't. And after like the third one, that's when he said, "You know, I'm a list, baby. I'm out of here." You know. <laughs> and I loved him. I chased him in the elevator, Pat. Yeah. You know. Come on, I'm a ge- I'm a genius of myself, man. My, my favorite lines of all time. Just Jackie, perfect. let's 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 talk a little bit about this documentary because I got so much I want to talk to you about. But I do want to talk about, bro, starting the band. Uh, you know, bro, when 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 wait a minute, wait. Tell people you've been going a while. Tell people for information about this film. It's jokemanmovie.com. I got all this stuff, guys, and I'm going to let, let I'll, I'll tell them first. And we're going to repeat it throughout. It is going to premiere July 18th, guys. It will be on iTunes, Amazon, Google Play, Xbox, Voodoo. It'll be on the cable systems, in demand, Viewbiquity, DirecTV, Dish. And the address Jackie just gave is jokemanmovie.com. And a lot of what we're going to be talking about today was in the documentary, and I was just about to go into... Uh, you oh, know, and also, also, if you don't have a TV, you can come over to my house and watch it. Uh, don't don't <laughs> say that, bro, because I'll be buying... I'll be telling you I don't have one. I'll be, and that's another thing, Jackie. I'm watching you a documentary, and, and at the end of the documentary, they do a beautiful... A shot of your house, and then they pull out, and I'm like, "Why is he showing people where he lives, bro?" Listen, just two months ago, they taped the final, the season finale of Blue Bloods right. at my home. Right. They taped an entire episode of The Affair at my house in 2015. <clears throat> then they shot the end scenes of a show called Instinct, which didn't last long. But they caught up with the killer at my house. 
And then this crazy new HBO show. It wasn't really a new show, but it was new to HBO called The Other Two. And the season finale of that just came on. And that's my house is all through that. And then Blue Bloods, like a big chunk of the season finale was right on my street. Like they found body in one. Like, who cares? I mean, I'm in a beautiful spot on yeah. the garden spot of the world, right on Long Island Sound. If they want to come chase me, they got to come by boat. You know, I, I don't I don't really care. You know, I'm old. What are they going to do? You know, if they show up, I'll give them a CD. You know? <laughs> hey, Jack, and, and they'll say, people don't play CDs anymore, and then they'll sail away, you know. <laughs> yeah, Jackie, I want to ask you this. Listen, I know I'm, I'm not a dummy. Listen, everything – Obviously, you know why we do things, you know, every, everything, there is a financial end to it. However, a, as I'm watching this documentary and obviously, bro, you're doing the documentary, you want to, you know, make some money and that's great. But I, I want to ask you, what were your what what else was behind the documentary? Because he, here's why I'm asking you this, bro. I remember our last interview and, and we, to stop with the humble stuff. And I'm really going to get into that in a little bit, but was, was there a part of you, Jackie, because I, I, you know, Bravo, this had to be said, people had to know what this man did and what his contributions were. Was that part of your motivation as well? (laughs) Well, uh, there was interest in doing a documentary on me and the interest was more, centered on uh, me leaving the show and that wasn't a good move and that's the Stern show was not my whole life and of course it's how people know me and how I got semi-famous and made a lot of money but I've been around a long time and had a pretty interesting path and my radio partner Ian Carr has ikacollective.com and they've been you know for 30 years he's been doing stuff for the networks and he just did the radio show with me because we were fellow Friars and he's a huge Stern fan and he really loved me. And when I met him at the Friars, five minutes after I talked to him for the first time, he said, wait a minute. He said, you are not the guy that's portrayed on that show. You're so far from that guy. And I said, well, listen, it's all stuff that works. You know, and the more Howard made me look like a moron, the less chance that people would pick up on on the fact that I was writing so much of the stuff he was saying. But it was fine. I never had a complaint about that. But then uh, when we got done with our radio show, we did eight years, 402 Jackie's Joke Hunts, solid jokes for a, an hour. It was so much fun. And he said, you know, your, sh- your, your story really needs to be told. You are the joke guy. You are the joke teller. You're an icon. You know, yes, you're on the Howard Stern Show. And yet that was how that's how everybody knows you. But there's more to you. And I really think I really want to do a documentary. And I was really flattered because, of course, I want people to know how much I contributed to the show because so many people don't know. But I also love the stupid story of of how I batted around and then just got lucky. And, you know, luck favors the prepared, you know, and uh, he was really into it. And I was so flattered. And plus, he's such a close friend, maybe, you know, one of my closest friends in the world. So working side by side, it took a long time. You know, that took a, a year just to, you know, hunt down Willie Nelson and get into his bus. And and between that and then the pandemic and all the stuff that went crazy, it took a long time. But, you know, I, I guess how humble can you be if you're glad to have somebody do the, you know, the story of your life? You know, but I, I, 
I think it's told well. It's told one thing. It's just like my autobiography. People like it. People hate it. Whatever. It's every word is the God's honest truth. You know, I left the Stern Show where they threw me out. I'll be able to look at it in 2001. And then people will interview me. And then somebody will come back and interview me a decade later or something. And they'll ask me something about leaving the show. And I'll tell them and they'll say, but that's what you said 20 years ago. I'm like, because that's what happened. Exactly. Right. You know, Mark, Mark, Mark Twain said, if you, if you tell the truth, you don't have to remember anything. You don't have to remember what lie you told the who. You just you just tell the truth. So, and the documentary is all you know, whether it ruffles feathers or not. It's the it's the honest to god truth, and it's fun, and it's uh, and it's a goof. But yeah, I, I, I was all about it. I was so flattered to do it. You know, so flattered. You know, I've got to ask you this, Jackie, because, you know, I'm a New Yorker. And one thing that people don't understand with New Yorkers come comes truth that that is how you raised it. The, the, the fights in the house, you speak your mind, you don't go behind people's backs. There's no backstabbing. You know, that's that's the New York way. However, Jackie, what I found out and I'm like you, man, I've been telling the same stories for the last 30 years. Nothing has changed. But but in my world of wrestling, which there are a lot of liars and con men and backstabbers and, you know, let's face it, the truth did not work in my world. Did it work in your world? Did, did you being an honest guy all the time, did that hurt you or hinder you? I, I just, I didn't, like when I was, say, getting beat up about being cheap or about being angry, you know, you only fight it to a certain degree. Like, it's funny, they would beat you up and beat you up and you have to say, ouch. Because if, you know, if the town bully is beating you up, if you don't say, ouch, they're going to keep punching you until you say, ouch. So, you know, I put up with stuff and then, but then I can always get out of it with a laugh or whatever. But I always maintain, but I didn't fight through. I wasn't going to sit there and say, no, I'm not cheap. No, I'm not cheap. No, I'm not cheap. My friends had listened to the show and they say, he talks about how cheap you are, and you're like one of the most generous people in the world. How does that happen? I said, well, he knows. Howard knows that that button makes me crazy. Right. And he's good enough and smart enough and talented enough to know. You know, I would have the entire, all my friends in the world come over to my house for a party. And I'd have 200 lobsters. Yeah, we see and that on, on, the, on the documentary. Yes, right. absolutely. And then on Monday, Howard would tell listeners, yeah, Jackie had a party with lobster. And you know what? He didn't have enough butter. And everybody go, yeah, that's because he's so cheap. You know, completely forgetting right. that I put 200 <laughs> lobsters for the entire universe. Yeah. But it worked and it was fun. So what am I going to do? You know, you just don't, you pick your battles, you know. And, yeah. it, and, it was, and it was funny. I'd be sitting there. What really drives people crazy is when I tell them that I wrote things for him to say to insult me. That's like, yeah. that's kind of <laughs> hard to wrap your head around. You know, it's like, it's like Curly saying, Mo. Hit me now, you know. Yeah, you know, Jackie. I I, I want to talk about that because again, man, I I am a writer. I made a living as a writer, and people don't understand this. And I have to make this clear. And I want to get in your brain a little bit about this. That's why I said I think this interview was going to be a little different, bro. They. The Stern Show is live on the air, okay? It is the number one show in the country. In other words, there is a lot of pressure that comes with that. So while Howard is behind the microphone live, 
guys, you, you got to really understand this. In real time, Jackie is handing him jokes. In real time, as Howard speaks, Jackie's mind is going a mile a minute, putting the joke in front of him. Bro, I don't – Jackie, that that is a freaking – Gift, I don't think people understand what that involves. Bro, did your brain always work that quickly your whole life? You know, um, it's from hanging around. You're hanging around with a bunch of people in a bar or hanging around with guys at a party. Like, I, I'm a smart guy. I have a decent mind. My mind moves fast. And Fred was giving me ideas, too. And I, w- I wasn't really writing jokes. I was, like, writing a word or three words or five words saying this, let's go this way. Let's go that way. And, but it would only work with somebody that's as, as much of a genius as Howard, because he could be talking to you and there's a piece of paper and he can swallow that piece of paper and incorporate it into what he's saying. He would even twist it. If I wrote an insult about Gary, he could twist and make it about Fred. I could write an insult where he insults himself and he'll turn around and make it about me if we're moving, we were moving at the speed of lightning. So if all of a sudden he missed a line and he thought it was really great, he would circle the conversation around so he could come back and hit that line. And it was, and we're moving a million miles an hour, but they weren't all home runs. You know, Mickey Mantle gets up to bat. He doesn't hit a home run every time, but of a certain percentage, you know, and, and some things were funnier than others, but just moving at the speed of light, you just, you know, don't worry about that bus. There's another one coming along. And once we got in that room, you know, people say, how could you be that funny at six o'clock in the morning? It's got nothing to do with six o'clock in the morning. It's in a room with three other incredibly talented people and having a cup of coffee and the party just starts and you just, Howard opens his mouth and we're off to the races. It was that simple. And, um, it, it just, and it just happened. And it was, it was that great. And it was so good. Every time, you know, it's really funny when people start first start really uh, when he went when we went to mornings and people started really climbing onto the show. One of the things that the interviewers would say to me was like, "This episode will continue with part two next week right here at Russo's Brand.com.